Amen. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Larry, for that word of hope that God uses all types of person, workers, laborers, poets. Thank you. Friends, we're beginning a new sermon series today called Choosing the Good. There are going to be some shared themes with this sermon series and the last sermon series we were doing called When Faith is Hard. Uh, these themes are like, you know, choosing what is good instead of just what is easy. Uh, it's, you know, making faithful decisions even when it's difficult. Um, so you may notice some of these same themes. It's by design since we're continuing in Luke's gospel. And these are themes that Luke kind of builds out in his gospel. And today, our reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. This story may be familiar to some of you. It's the story of Martha and Mary. So you can follow along in your bulletin or on page 72 of your Red Pew Bibles, if you'd like the context in the New Testament section. This is Luke 10, 38 through 42. Listen now for God's word to you. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we prepare to delve into this text this morning, would you pray with me? God of light, warm our minds and enlighten our hearts as we turn toward your word today. Grant us peace, grant us hope, grant us you. We pray this in the name of your son, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As I mentioned a little earlier, this story is familiar to some of us. Those of us who grew up in the church, particularly those of us who grew up in the church as young women, have likely internalized certain ideas, shall we say, about this story, whether good or whether ill. There's quiet Mary, right, who, who shuns the chores and learns from Jesus. There's busy Martha, who's hard at work, harbor, and, and who's beginning to grow in her resentment. Maybe you were told from a young age that you were too much Martha, or maybe you didn't have to be told it. Maybe you just sort of absorbed that as something that was being told to you in this passage. And perhaps in reading this passage, you're wondering, is there a space in God's world for like the duty-oriented people? Is there a space in God's world for the folks who like hold everything together? Perhaps in reading this passage on the other side, you find yourself vindicated for avoiding doing the routine everyday chores. But I'm firmly convinced that when a scripture text is used to shame those with certain strengths and elevate those with other strengths, we're doing it wrong. And we need to re-examine our interpretation of the text. So what's going on? 
with Mary and with Martha? Well, I think first we need to get a little context for this story because there are several surprises in the text that may not be immediately obvious on first read. You might recall that we're in this large section of the Gospel of Luke that starts at the end of chapter 9, we're in chapter 10, and it goes all the way to chapter 19, where Jesus is constantly going further and further, closer and closer to Jerusalem. He's ultimately going to come to a confrontation with the religious leaders, confronting their corruption and the way that they have used and abused their power, and it will ultimately come to his own death, Jesus' own death. At the beginning of this journey, you may remember, this was several weeks ago, he sends out 70 or 72, depending on the translation, disciples to prepare villages and households for his arrival as he begins to go and preach the good news. One of these households, we can safely assume, belonged to Martha, because Martha welcomes him into her house. Here's the first surprise in our reading. Martha, a woman is the head of a household. What's this? It's her home that Jesus is welcomed into. This was not something that happened on a regular basis in the ancient Near East. You did not have women as heads of households. Perhaps Martha was widowed earlier in life, and she's been running the household ever since. Maybe Martha somehow overcame the prejudices against women in the early first century, and showed herself to be an industrious businesswoman, made a profit, somehow uh, uh, overcame that. We don't know Martha's backstory, but we do know that she was entrusted to make decisions for her household. And therefore, it was likely that she did not have a husband or a father around, that she was entrusted with this. So in my mind's eye, I'm imagining that Martha likely heard a couple disciples coming through town preaching about this man named Jesus, and she was intrigued. It wouldn't surprise me if she were intrigued enough to come and see Jesus preach herself as he began to come through the towns and villages surrounding her household. And if if you open up your, your Bibles and see the context, right before the story of Mary and Martha, you've got Jesus having this interaction with a lawyer, someone who was well read in the law. And this lawyer had asked him what the greatest commandment is. And you may remember Jesus' response to him was, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer is like, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Do you remember uh, what G- the parable that Jesus tells after this? It's not a rhetorical question. If you remember, you can shout it out. Yeah, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's right. So Martha probably hears this parable of the Good Samaritan, this man who sees someone wounded on the side of the street and is hospitable to him, who gives him clothing, gives him a place to stay. And she's like, huh. I want to be like that. I want to offer hospitality. I want to offer welcome. In fact, I want to welcome and care for Jesus just like the Samaritan cared for the man who was robbed and beaten by robbers. Maybe she thought, clearly loving my neighbor is not only about words, but about actions. And maybe then and there, she committed to being a faithful host and offering hospitality and welcome. 
I wonder if that's what led to her inviting Jesus and this band of like 70 people into her house because that's not something that many of us would volunteer to do spur of the moment. Let me make a meal for 70 people. That requires some planning. Now, maybe you've been a guest in someone's house and maybe you've been a guest in someone's house where the anxiety was palpable. I won't ask you to raise your hand. You can just kind of file that away, right? If, if you've had that experience. Maybe you've been in a place where you feel like the host or hostess is one mistake away from having a breakdown. And you know that like everybody is sort of tiptoeing around this and like trying to offer to help, but not like getting in the way. And it's not very hospitable in spite of all the efforts that this person is putting in. Or maybe, maybe you've been that host or that hostess, deeply desiring that everything would be perfect for your guests, but also having that nagging feeling in the back of your mind that you're not enough, that what you've done has not truly welcomed the guests. If that's been you, and if you feel comfortable, I'd invite you to kind of like revisit that situation. It may be painful, it may be hard, but put yourself back in that position of trying to put together a meal for people and feeling like you're one misstep away from like getting it wrong. I want you to imagine what you were doing, who's with you, and so on. And if you feel comfortable, I'd like to invite a couple folks to sort of share how that feels. Again, no pressure. If you feel comfortable outing yourself there, if you could share like, you know, a one word or two words of like emotions or feelings that you have in revisiting that situation. Frustration. Frustration. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Other emotions. Anxiety. So much, yeah, frustration, anxiety. I wonder if Martha was feeling the same way. I'm sure she wanted everything spotless and perfect for Jesus' time with her. And in wanting everything perfect, her frustration at maybe being the only one doing the work, her anxiety of not having everything perfect probably began to bleed over to her guests. But I'm getting ahead of myself in the passage. After Jesus is welcomed into Martha's house, the passage reveals a second surprise. First surprise is that Martha is the head of the household. The second surprise is in verse 39. And it's the reason that Martha is working by her lonesome. And it's that Martha's sister, Mary, the passage says, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. What's surprising about this, you might ask? After all, if Jesus were here today, we'd all want to be sitting at his feet listening to what he's saying, right? To sit at the feet of a rabbi in that day meant to be a disciple of that rabbi. Mary, a woman, is assuming the role of a disciple of Jesus. See, just as women weren't usually heads of household in the Middle East in the first century, women also just did not become disciples in the Middle East in the first century. 
Remember from a, a few weeks ago when Jesus was recruiting people to come along with him as disciples, uh, one of the things he said was, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man, referring to himself, has nowhere to lay his head. These are people who are going to be camping out together as they sort of wander from place to place. And they may not always, you know, be able to choose their roommates or their tent mates. The role of a disciple is hard, and to be a disciple is to travel with the rabbi, and for a woman to travel with a band of men? Uh-uh. That would have been very inappropriate in that time. No proper women of this time would have done such a thing. Martha may well have been more concerned about this than the fact that Mary wasn't helping in the kitchen. Martha might have been seeing two or three steps down the line, wanting to keep her sister from ending up in this band of brothers and being seen as loose, for lack of a better word. So not only is Martha left alone by herself to host all these guests, but she also now sees her sister playing at being a disciple of Jesus. As the narrative plays out in my imagination, this is the last straw for Martha. Maybe she didn't mind Mary not helping host. Maybe she actually prefers it that way. Um, it, those of you who have people who try to help who maybe aren't always helpful, you know that it might be better just to do it, or do it yourself, right? But she was certainly concerned about the implications of Mary getting ideas about becoming a follower of an itinerant rabbi. So this leads to the third surprise in this passage. Martha as head of household. Mary as thinking she could be a follower of Jesus. And now Martha, who was so excited to welcome Jesus into her house, now tries to recruit Jesus to take her side in directing Mary to help Martha work instead of sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, I want you to disregard politics for a moment because I want to give an illustration. This is like preparing to host the president and his cabinet in your house, but then asking him to offer a ruling about a family disagreement. Really? I mean, you've got the president himself in your house. Like, you could, you know, maybe, maybe you're of the opinion that you would want to thank the president for the work he's done. Maybe you're on the other side of the aisle, and maybe you want to challenge him on views that you don't particularly agree with. Or, or maybe you could even pick his brain about what it's like to do the work of president day in and day out. And instead of any of these things that would have honored him as a guest, you ask him to rebuke your sister for her excitement and interest in his work. What are we doing? Seriously? Martha's issue in this passage isn't that she wants to serve. And I want you to take note of this. It's not that she's a hard worker. If you've got gifts of hospitality and service, you are not less than in any way. Please hear this. Martha's issue is that she was so keen on working for Jesus that she forgot her primary purpose was to worship Jesus. She was so bent on keeping her sister respectable that she neglected to affirm her sister's recognition of the long-awaited Messiah and she neglected to rejoice with her sister that her sister could now follow someone who would welcome disciples who weren't exclusively male. Martha's issue was that she tried to use Jesus' authority for her own benefit. She quickly went from worshiping Jesus, welcoming him into her house, to trying to get Jesus to work for her. 
On Thursday of this week, uh, I was talking with my friend Jeremy about this passage. There's Jeremy. Um, he was the one who, who helped me to see something about this passage. He mentioned that Martha had, had bought into religion. And I want to make a distinction here. Uh, by religion, I mean like a list of things that we can do. And if we do those things, then God's going to love and accept us. You might not have heard of religion being used this way. Like religion, maybe in the technical sense, is like the list of ways that we interact with God, perhaps. Um, but religion, I'm using it here as contrasted with a relationship of faith and grace. See, in a relationship of faith and grace, we can't control the other person. But religion gives us some levers by which we can try to control God. And when we worship Jesus, we need to trust that our relationship is based on faith and grace, not the different actions that we can take to try to get Jesus to love us, try to get Jesus to accept us. The problem, though, is that religion is comforting. When we think that we're in control over God's acceptance, over Christ's acceptance of us, it allows us to keep control over our lives and to manage our own destiny. It even sometimes allows us to think we can wield God for our own causes. But contrasting religion with the good news of a relationship of faith and grace, we see that religion is actually kind of bad news. It exchanges the beauty and magnificence of the wild and living Lord for a tame, sad excuse of a deity that can be controlled. Martha didn't err because she was industrious and hardworking. Martha didn't err because she noticed the details and tried to be a good host. Martha erred because she tried to control the living Lord. She embraced religion. While she thought Jesus was Lord, she intended to use his lordship to further her own ends. And this is what happens when we err, when we begin to focus not on worship, but on the work that we think we need to do in order to get God to love us more. I wonder, when have you been so dedicated to doing the work of the Lord that you missed out on worshiping the Lord? Don't need to answer that question again. This is, is between you and God. Martha had the son of God in her living room and was stressed out about her many tasks, was stressed out about what Mary was getting herself into. I wonder what would it have looked like if Martha had instead committed herself to worshiping Jesus and then let her worship lead her into the work she had to do. I think it would have felt dangerous. It would have felt like you're surrendering control. But that's kind of the point. When we worship Jesus, we relinquish ultimate control of our lives, of our destinies. That's what it means to believe Jesus is Lord. Many of us have struggled to control our own lives. Some of us have been more successful than others. But some of us have found ourselves at the end of our ropes, confronting a problem or a situation that we didn't have the energy or skills to confront. And I think, friends, that when it's, at, when, it's, it's when you're at the end of your rope that you actually come to a place that you can experience the blessings of God. It's when you find yourself overwhelmed, unsure of where to go, that you can sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he has to say. And this doesn't mean that you're going to ignore the messes around the house. 
It doesn't mean that the situation that you're confronting is going to disappear. But when we sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and listen to what he has to say to us, suddenly we're not worshiping work, but working while we worship. May we look on both Martha and Mary with love, with the same love that Jesus himself had for them. May we be content and celebrate the gifts and ability our Lord has given us, whether they're gifts of learning, gifts of service, or something else. And may we always turn to Jesus in worship, listening to what he says to us, because in everything that he says, he always whispers, you are loved. You are my child. And when I made you, I did not make a mistake. And in trying to choose between hearing and believing these words versus the nonstop anxiety of religion, which one is the better part? May it be so. Amen.